Her dreams and goals were simple and few. As a former army brat, Morgan Albright spent her childhood moving across countries and continents. Her roots, directed by her father's work, grew short and shallow to allow for quick transplanting. From base to base, from house to house, state to state, country to country for her first 14 years before her parents divorced. She'd never had a choice. Hello, and welcome to Best Seller, where we read and rate the latest book at the top of the New York Times hardcover fiction list. 20 minutes with us, and you'll know whether to read it or re-gift it. I'm Barbara. And I'm Brian. Today, we're reviewing Identity by Nora Roberts, number one on the June 11th, 2023 list. Before we get to our new number one, what else is happening on the list this week? Falling off the list? The Wedding Planner by Danielle Steele. Wait, there's a Danielle Steele Wedding Planner? A Ah. novel, not a toolkit. Got it. Continue. Okay. Queen Charlotte fell off. The True Love Experiment by Christina Lauren fell off after one week. Mm. And so did Fractal Noise by Christopher Paolini. Just one week on the list. Mm. But we've got some new ones. Tom Clancy Flashpoint by Don Bentley. Is he still writing? (laughs) Clancy passed away in 2013. But his name lives on as the front part of the book title. Also new on the list, Rogue Justice by Stacey Abrams, which made it in on number 15. This is the second thriller in her series about Supreme Court law clerk Avery Keene. In addition to these two thrillers, Abrams has written three romance novels, a couple of children's books, several leadership how-tos. She keeps busy when she's not running for office. Yeah, or maybe she writes while she's on the campaign trail. I'm not sure. Probably both. Okay, let's talk about our new number one. What do we know about the author? Nora Roberts has written over 200 best-selling novels, romances, futuristic suspense, as J.D. Robb, and fantasy trilogies. She's the first author we've reviewed twice in this podcast. First was Encore and Death as J.D. Robb, and now this. And actually three times if you count our practice episode last year. That's right. We reviewed The Choice, which was the third installment in the Dragonheart Legacy trilogy. So what is she doing right this minute? Like, how would I know that? By reading her blog. She has a blog? Yeah, it's called Fall Into the Story. And I think she writes the entire, I think she writes the entries herself. Okay, so what is she doing right now? Vacationing in Cozumel with her husband, the kids, all the grandkids. Her blog's got daily updates. You sound weirdly excited about that. <laughs> I Okay, I think it's fun seeing how the rich and famous spend their downtime. <laughs> so what did you learn? Uh, apparently, the super rich do exactly the same things on vacation the rest of us do. Lay out on the beach, splash around in the water, play cards, eat, drink, talk about what we're going to eat and drink next. Yeah, that does sound pretty much like everybody's Caribbean yeah. vacation, although I've never seen you lay out on the beach. Um, well, if I had a good book, maybe. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Check that. Go ahead. So what is the difference between the wealthy and the rest of us? Private plane, private beach. Less crowded. Yeah, same, very same activities, but more legroom. So I also looked up the boutique. Is that how you say it? The boutique? Boutique. <laughs> I've seen it, but I've never heard it. It's like Not like Botox, it's boutique. So I wanted to look up some more about Nora Roberts. Since we've already reviewed her before, I was digging a little deeper, and I looked up the small hotel that she and her husband own in Boonesboro, Maryland. How okay? fun. Yeah, it's right across the street from the bookstore her husband owns. So here's a fun fact. Each room in the hotel 
which is called In Boonesboro. You uh, get it? With, I-N-N. With two N's, yeah. Yeah. Each room or suite bears the name of a pair of famous literary lovers who found happy endings. Cute. But instead of just reading them out, I thought it would be more fun to do it as like a pop quiz. Do you game? Uh, who doesn't love a surprise test? I'm a little nervous. Are you nervous? <laughs> okay, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't know all of them. I had to look them up. Okay. And I'm perfectly happy to give hints, but I want everybody listening to understand that Barbara does not know these answers in advance. But you understand the game, right? I do. Okay, first room, think. Titania and Oberon. And so I'm supposed to guess what they're from? They're Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay, two points. Woo, woo! You got the story and the author. Very good. Elizabeth and Darcy. So this is from the... Um, it's the the wonderful Mr. Darcy. It's, it's one of the... Um, you know what I'm trying to say. No, I don't. That's zero <laughs> points. You need you need a title and an author. No, it's Jane Austen. Thank, okay, that's one point. And it's um, it's Pride and Prejudice. Oh my gosh, you pulled it out. I did it. Two points. <laughs> Jane and Rochester. So this one I don't think I know, but I think it might also be Jane Austen. No. It's not. It's, okay, I don't know this one. It's Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. Oh, Jane Eyre. Okay. Jane and Rochester. I All should right. have given you a hint on that. Yeah. This next one I did not know. Marguerite and Percy. So is that the Scarlet Pimpernel? <gasps> That's a point. Woo! Do you remember who wrote it? I do not. Baroness Orczy. No, I did not remember that. Okay, the next couple with has a suite named after it at their hotel is Nick and Nora. Is that for Nora Roberts? No. Oh, then I don't know this one. Okay, this is a series called The Thin Man, which I remember from the movies, but I did not know the author. It's Mm. Dashiell Hammett. Oh. Yeah, so Nick and Nora got a room. Next one. You're doing good, though. You've got two, three, you got five points already. Eve and Rourke. Eve and Rourke have to be the heroine and main characters in the J.D. Robb series, the In-Death series. Very good. Two points. Written by Nora Roberts. Ding, ding, ding. And the last couple that has a room named after them is Wesley and Buttercup. That has to be Princess Bride. Written by... I don't remember. (laughs) Well, guess what? What? I didn't even know it was Princess Bride. You didn't? I'm the one person in America who's not uh, nerdy about that show. At least you've seen it. It was written by William Goldman. Okay. So you actually got two, three, four, five, six. You got eight points. Well, did I win? Yeah, because you're the only one competing. So you get a, a... participation ribbon and the first prize i think we should go to the in boonesboro and stay in the wesleyan buttercup suite okay i'll tell you you would stay in that room i would stay i think in the eve and rourke room because Why? it's because it's nora roberts it's her creation oh, I... and it's her hotel with her husband see i figured you'd pick titania and oberon because yeah, of our that's, shakespeare that's a little heavy mm. Aren't they gods or something? That's a little hard to live up to. Or fairies, I mean. They're they're fairy gods. (laughs) Okay, enough idle chit-chat. Let's talk about the book. The new number one, Identity. Yeah, it seems like you're putting it off, so let's jump in. (laughs) I'm trying to. Go ahead. It's a 437-page romantic suspense novel published by St. Martin's Press. Nora Roberts is represented by Amy Burkauer at Writer's House. The novel has 96% female readership. Okay. The audiobook is 15 hours and four minutes, read by January Lavoie, who's recorded Nora Roberts before and numerous other romance writers. But she's also voiced thrillers such as, for example, Harlan Coben's 2014 novel, Missing You. Another great name 
in yeah. the business. January Lavoie. I love that. So you listened to it more than I did. How was the reading? Do you remember? I thought the reading was good. It was enjoyable. She did the voice as well. The pacing was good. I thought she really brought it to life. But let's talk about the story. The story of the novel uh, focuses on Morgan Albright. She's a bartender in her late 20s who lives in the outskirts of Baltimore, Maryland. Just down the road from in Boonesboro. (laughs) Probably, yeah. She's working two jobs because she wants to save up enough to buy her own house and her own bar. She's bartending at night and during the day manages an office at a local builder. Things are going fine. She's doing well. She's got a new love interest named Luke Hudson. Another cool name. Better than Luke Bryan, anyway, who I'm always (laughs) mistaken for. But not better than Brian Luke. Like when I'm... (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's a fake name. As it turns out, Luke is really Gavin Roswell, a con artist and serial killer who gains the trust of young women like Morgan, then steals their identity, cleans out their bank accounts, and then just for the sadistic thrill of it kills them right except this time his plans go sideways because morgan's roommate nina happens to be home and roswell is you know in the house installing his identity theft software on morgan's laptop so he's ad libs and kills nina on the spot instead of morgan and gets out of there Morgan finds Nina's body, and by the time she figures out what's really going on, Roswell has cleaned her out, not only gotten all of her savings, but maxed out her credit cards, borrowed money against her equity, all that. Yeah, she's completely ruined and devastated, you know, finding your roommate's body. She moves out of the area up to Westridge, Vermont. That's not a real town. I looked it up. But up to Vermont to be with her mother, Audrey, and her grandmother, Olivia, who live together and run a little shop called Craft Arts and Wine Cafe. And starts rebuilding her life one step at a time. She gets a job as a bar manager at a large ski resort outside of town, Mm -hmm. owned by a local family named Jameson. She also develops a new love interest with the seriously great-looking workhorse, as Morgan calls him, Miles Jameson, one of the Jameson grandchildren and the COO of the family biz. Unfortunately, her life rebuilding project is clouded by the fact that Roswell is still out there, killing women, stealing their identities. And according to the FBI, he's become obsessed with her and will probably come after her again eventually. So that's the summary of the story. Does Morgan keep her job at the resort even after taking up with the boss, Miles? Do the police catch Roswell before he gets to Morgan? And if not, is she able to survive his second attempt on her life? And if so, how? And most importantly, do Morgan and Miles get a suite named after them at the Inn Boonesboro? (laughs) Read Identity and find out. Well, actually, that last one about getting the suite named after them, that's not covered in the book. Yes, so read Identity and find out everything else. As we did. So our first category is grip and grab. Mm -hmm. How does it, does it grip you? Does it grab you? Does it pull you through the story? What did you think? I actually gave this a three, which is a good score. High marks from you. It's not great, but it's good. I thought the setup was interesting. Um, She follows the character Morgan. You know, she changes points of view quite a bit, but she stays with Morgan for the most part. So you come to care about her plight and admire her pluck and her resolve and resiliency. When she cuts, the author cuts to the killer to show his point of view. This also works. It builds suspense, you know, because he's still out there killing women. So I I was pulled in and and, um, stayed with it. So for me, Grip and Grab was, um, it was a little slow to get started Mm. for me. I'm not sure why. Towards the end, it sort of built for me. So I I gave it a two. Um, So what about the next category? She got flair. What kind of um, turn of phrase or... You know, we've read her before and 
we know that she's not one who puts a lot of energy into turns of phrase, into you know new figures of speech or clever ways. Her stri- I would call her style straightforward. In this particular book, it was clear and easy to follow. For example, here's a sentence. She drove safe, though she floated a bit on the quiet rush of a good night kiss. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, That's a good sentence. You know, she's got those, and most of the book is like that. There were a couple of clunkers. I'll read this. The little house on Newberry Street boasted a pretty yard, fresh white paint, and a new front door. She painted a soft, happy blue. I liked that sentence. This is what I call devolving into ad copy. And remember last mm. episode, how would I, I came up with a new rule for authors. Don't use boast unless you're talking about somebody bragging. <laughs> and don't use sport unless you're talking about an organized athletic activity. Don't say she sported this jacket or the house boasted, you know, marble countertops. I'm offering that rule to anybody who wants to take it, and I'm not even going to charge any royalties on it. She breaks that rule. You know, it sounds like ad copy. There's another quote later on where Miles is talking to Morgan about the area where they live, and he says, Good schools, low crime, a solid arts community, its scenic, offers an abundance of outdoor activities and interests, and it's close to the National Forest. I see what you mean. What are are you, a realtor? It's like in a magazine ad copy. (laughs) You know, these are long books. I give them a pass for one or two clunkers. I would say the number of clunkers here was reasonable. There was one where I think you and I laughed about Morgan's getting a car, and she says to her grandma or her mother, it's a hybrid. I don't do a lot of driving, and they have a couple of charging stations at the resort, so it's practical. You might say that's Morgan not knowing that hybrids don't plug into charging stations, but it's not. Probably wasn't the author because Morgan's already bought the car, so she would know (laughs) when she bought it. You don't have to plug it in. Excellent. It reminded me of what was it, Baldacci, who called a a dong. He thought a dongle was a (laughs) input or something. Yeah. So, but those are pretty few. She's got some good sentences. Oh, here's one. He, this is about the villain. He had a million personas he could wear like a bespoke suit. Mm. You know, what's wrong with that? That's good. Yeah. Um, so I gave, I gave this category a two. And I'll say one other thing. This is a, something I didn't notice with the other books, but I'm starting to dawn on me. She likes to divide her books into three parts. And each part has like a really beautiful two-page picture and then she sticks in what are these these i guess you call them epigraphs these sort of classic quotes Hmm. i've noticed that the epigraphs she picks have nothing to do with the story at all oh they're random like here's one love is strong as death jealousy is cruel as the grave this is not a story about jealousy it's just random yeah so that kind of thing brought it down to a two what about you for She Got Flair? So for Flair, so I, I like her style. It's clean. Mm-hmm. It moves forward, understandable, and it doesn't get in the way. Um, and it's funny because you didn't like that sentence about the um, the boasting of the pretty yard, fresh white paint, and a new front door she'd painted. But there's a lot in there of character. Mm. Like, she's really proud of her house, and she painted that door. She painted it. No, I like the sentence. I don't like the word. <laughs> the boast. I'm sorry, that takes me out of the story. Fine. Anyway. If I want to watch HTV, I will. <laughs> and, and you may after reading this. <laughs> she's, she's very persuasive. So I also gave um, this category a two. So what about um, Beam Me Up, the world building category? What did you think about that? Beam Me Up is a two for me. There are things I liked and things that, were, that I was indifferent to. Um, the world of resort bartending, okay, 
am I interested in that world? Not especially, but she described it really well. And I always appreciate when an author takes me into another world, yeah. introduces to me me to it in a way that I think is authentic. Yeah, I've even got an example here. This is Morgan teaching one of the staff, training her to be a, a bartender. And Morgan says, I use a four count with my pours, four seconds an ounce. You should take home one of the empties and you can borrow a jigger. Use water, measure it first, an ounce, an ounce and a half, two ounces into a glass. Use another glass to practice your free pour by eye and by count. I mean, that's pretty detailed and pretty yeah. deep. And that's one of the strengths of the world, world building here. I don't know if Nora Roberts was a bartender or if she consulted. I don't know how she did it, but she's in. She's in that world. Yes. She's got the usual Nora Roberts forays into there's a chapter about a wedding. There's a chapter about a dinner party, and they're described in great detail. And I think that's just one of her trademarks, and maybe her readers really like that. That part doesn't do anything for me. And the last point I I put here for world building, for someone who writes two suspense novels a year, that's her schedule for the in-death series, she's remarkably weak on police procedures. Mm. Like her her FBI detectives here are they're perfectly likable, but they don't seem to have procedures. Like <laughs> when they're trying to track the killer, he's they found him up in the Pacific Northwest and then they think he's gone driving to the south. And they just get in the car and start driving south. And one of the quotes is there hasn't been a sign of him in Washington State since we started south. Not seeing anything this way either. Not yet, but it still feels right. <laughs> and then later in the same sequence, he's got a plan now. That's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling that, but more. <laughs> like, did you notice how ridiculous it was? That, that like, it he does... drove south, and that's enough for them to just start driving south. And guess what? They run into him in a small town. Yeah. So. How? <laughs> Give didn't... me a chapter on how you did it. That didn't bother me. That whole sort of like, I have a feeling about this. I'm going to go with my gut. Like, that didn't bother me at all. But okay. I, when you quote it like that, it does sound ridiculous. So for world building or beam me up, I gave it a two. So for me, I I gave it a 2.5. And I the part that I liked the most was the was the world that as she was re, truly rebuilding her roots when she's mm. including her mom. She's including her grandmother. And she calls them her ladies yeah. and she's got all this pride about, you know, paying for her own way and and not mooching off of them too much and they're making it really clear, we want you to be here and she's been through so much and as she does put down roots like it's really enjoyable mm. to see and she gets um, some traction with her new job and she's really really good at it and it, I, I found myself like really at this point in the book I was I felt like I was really gripped, I was really pulled in and I I just really kind of um took a whole day and finished it and i oh. because i liked hanging it was like i was hanging out at the bar with morgan and it was fun <laughs> wanted to just <laughs> see oh she was just so nice and kind and and she's a really good bartender yes. and and it made me understand a little bit better why somebody would like that yeah. occupation and and it wasn't just the bartending they she describes the resort world yes quite well and i enjoyed that too like the the marketing like the way she picked a drink to go with what the spa was doing I'm like i want a massage and a lavender margarita like who doesn't want that yeah <laughs> um and then like they were doing the picnic i by thought the, the drink should come with the book <laughs> what was it called a lavender lavender margarita <laughs> i just thought that was great so i really enjoyed that part of the world and and I gave it a 2.5. So what did you think about new best friends? 
This is my biggest category for discussion. Mine too. I'll just tell you right off the bat. Let's start with the positives. All right. I thought the main character was likable. She's plucky, competent. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, why don't we play an audio example here so you can get a sense of that. She's uh, interviewing for a management position, managing the, the bar area, and she's sitting down with Nick, who's the assistant manager, and now Jameson, who's part of the family and will be her boss, and, and naturally Nell asks her to mix a drink to prove her stuff, and here's how it goes. Well, we'll take a table and get started. Nell held up a finger. Before the table, why don't we start with you showing me some practical application? How about you make me a Kier Royale? I'd be happy to. I need to see your ID. She heard Nick suck in a quick gasp, but kept her eyes on Nell. Are you serious? I can't serve you otherwise. I'm 27. That's what they all say. Sorry, you could pass for 20. Could be exceptional DNA and bone structure, but it's not worth the hit to this venue or to me to risk it. Is that your personal policy? It is, and I hope it's your business's policy or I'm the wrong person for this position. I see. Nell set her briefcase on the bar, opened it. She took a slim leather case from one of the pockets, slid out her license. Morgan studied it, smiled, said, thank you. Her heart hammered as she walked around the bar, then settled. She knew what she was doing here. That's some serious moxie, carding your boss in your interview. <laughs> I know. I love that scene. That was great. <laughs> That's character revealing, too. It is. I was immediately like, she's got, well, I was going to say she's got balls, but whatever. She's got, she can she's take a risk. Yeah, she's got moxie. So that, her character is fine, mostly. We'll talk more about it a little bit. The villain is creepy. I like that. This is him thinking, the depths of stupidity laced with gullibility in the human race never failed to amaze him and delight him. After all, without those lovely weaknesses, how would he live his life in the style he deserved? So I thought the the villain was sketched nicely. Mm -hmm. I also, like you mentioned, I like the way uh, Morgan related with her ladies, her mother and grandmother. Yeah. Uh, The FBI duo was a little bland, but definitely likable. So that all seems very positive. In in fact, I did not give this category a high score. And you know why? Why? The love story between Morgan and Miles. Yeah, not surprising. So tell me what you thought about that. Okay, well, yeah, let's start with basics. Who is Miles? Well, he's super good looking. She calls him gorgeous and a really seriously great looking workhorse. Mm -hmm. And he's the COO. So he's well to do. He's not phenomenally rich like Rourke, but he's got power and money. He's a catch. Okay, but what else is he? This is her love interest. This is the main heart of the romantic story in the book. Yeah. He's pushy. Yep. Literally, he's constantly grabbing her by the hand and the shoulder and nudging her and all this. He's often insulting. Yes. And he never calls her stupid, but he's often saying that things that you that you just said or are about to say or might say are stupid. Yeah. All the time. Right. He's menacing. Did you catch that? Yes. He actually threatens the the man who's dating his sister now. He says, if you hurt her, I'll have to kill you. Yeah. He's really bossy all the time. Do you remember this part? What time is it, she says, waking up? And he's like, get your ass up o'clock. Taking her hand, he pulled her up to sitting. Guess what I wrote in the margin there? I said, he's a jerk. Mm. I'm driving you home, he says. I am fine, she says. He held out his hand. Keys. You know the drill. He's silencing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Did you catch that? He's constantly telling her to be quiet. Yeah, I have a lot to say about this, so okay. you just keep going. <laughs> He's self-absorbed. Mm-hmm. This this shocked me. When they, they've started dating, the staff doesn't know they're dating. Do you remember what he did? He kisses her. Oh, right, in plain and sight. Deeply in plain sight of the other staff. Mm-hmm. I call that self-absorbed because what position does that put her in? She's a manager of the bar area. Yeah. Really bad Disrespectful. On and then lastly, he's controlling. Yes. And this is a major part of his character. So the first big scene where that comes out is when they're interested in each other, and he already knows that this serial killer is probably tracking her, and he goes over to her house where she lives with her ladies and installs a security system without asking anybody. Yeah. And uh, she says, Miles, you can't arrange for all this without talking it over. And he says, I did, so I can. He nudged her. That's that pushiness. He Mm -hmm. nudged her outside. I didn't want you to matter, but you do. So this is happening. It's pushy. It's not fair. Deal with it. Yeah, it's atrocious. I think it's atrocious. The thing that was shocking, maybe Nora Roberts think this is cute or something. He doesn't actually ask her to marry him. He tells her. He took out the ring in his pocket. We'll get married. He said it matter-of-factly, the way he might have said, we'll watch a movie. Since I'm in love with you and we're already outside the lines, we'll get married. You're the one. I'm sure. I'm ready. Get on board, Morgan. And, <laughs> like that's and the... don't don't forget another thing. That this it takes a lot to shock me. Okay, uh-huh. this shocked me. She was drunk when he proposed, and mm. he did it deliberately. And you know because they talk about it. Mm. And she says at the end of the proposal, "Did you really do this now because I've been drinking?" He says, "Yes." And you remember what she says? God, I love that so much. Yeah, it, and like, and why? The the quote that st- stood out for me was, she says, I love you, Miles. And he says, another thing you damn well better. What? And I, just, I yeah, forgot that. Yeah, I just think it's awful. He's aggressive. Um, and like, if Morgan was really my BFF, I would seriously talk to her about kicking him to the curb. I mean, okay. why are we still spinning men's aggression as romantic or protective? Why are women supposed to see this as anything positive? Um, this is a man that Morgan should run away from fast and find someone who values her opinions, her thoughts, her feelings, her life as equal to his, and leave this Neanderthal bullshit <laughs> behind forever. So there's another thing that I don't know if you picked up on this, and I I have a lot to say about this as well. There's a quote where Morgan says after, so there was a morning they spent on the ropes course, and this was a surprise to her. It's not like they went on a date and they said, hey, let's do the ropes course. And she was able to say, oh, I'm scared or whatever. No, he surprises her with it. And so she's sort of forced into doing this, and she's scared, and she overcomes it, and she does well, right? So good on her. So later that day, she says, quote, I appreciate you putting up with me this morning. I was a pain in the ass. And he's basically like, yeah, you were a pain in the ass. And and I'm like, that's how women turn it. That's that's the self-deprecation. I remember when I used to say stupid things like that in a past relationship. Okay. And it's a way to self-deprecate any unwanted feelings or actions away, not by speaking honestly about them, but by owning them in a way that covers his lack of sensitivity to her feelings by pretending by pretending she had been a pain in the ass, but she wasn't. She wasn't a pain in the ass. She was just experiencing an adventure course that he surprised her with. And and that itself was a boundary violation. And he was not patient or kind or gentle. It was painful for me to see this in this novel. And I, you know, yeah, she's self-effacing. Yes. And and I, I was shocked by that too. It's like, what year is this again? Right. 
so she pushes back a little bit on all of his bossiness and broodiness and insensitivity. But she ultimately is happy to move the relationship forward. And uh, here's another example where she's she says, she's talking to her, one of her ladies at this point. He said I was stupid for thinking they were going to let me go. She's talking about when she revealed to the resort that she's being stalked, probably. Right. He said I was stupid. And I felt stupid and relieved. And they were so kind. So I felt even more stupid. He keeps calling her stupid indirectly. Like, if you say this, you're stupid. And, and then she starts to feel stupid. And she just goes with it. Yeah. She interprets his his controlling ways as being kind. Now, remember how he starts walking her to the car after her shift because they're afraid of this guy, yeah. Roswell, showing up and attacking her. Okay, so that's that's helpful. But then he stands there until she drives away. Now, you could interpret that positively, that he's going one extra step. You could also interpret it as being controlling. But what I wouldn't call it is kind. I would call it maybe, in a positive way, protective. But she con- she says that that's how he cares. And so she's interpreting his sort of controlling behaviors, like installing the, the security system without asking her as caring. Well, it might be that installing a security system would be a kind mm-hmm. thing to do if you talk about it and you agree together. You are the person in my life who made, helped me learn how you talk to each other and value each other's opinions and feelings and decide things together. And that's nowhere in this book. His boundary violations are justified because his feelings are so strong. Remember when yeah. he says, this is happening it's pushy. It's not fair. Deal with it. I didn't want you to matter, but you do. So because she matters to him, he can just be overbearing and pushy, even though there's some recognition that these are boundary violations. You don't order a security system for an entire household without talking to them about it. Not when you don't own the household. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the other ways that this is interpreted by the author and by Morgan is really important here. It's not like Nora Roberts is creating this character, Miles, and then showing Morgan, realizing that she needs to get out. These are serious red flags. It's not like that at all. She's got a line uh, in when they're having sex. He took over, she let him, and with surrender, she found power. That's a direct quote from the book. Yeah. Okay, think about what that indicates. With surrender, she found power. This is the Nora Roberts ethos of gender relations in a nutshell. This was already challenged and problematic by the 1980s when Nora Roberts started writing. She also says in the book uh, that it's the price of love. Here's the quote. If she accepted love, this is Morgan thinking. If she accepted love, and boy did she, then she accepted what came with it. So that's the resignation that this is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, does Nora Roberts think those are the only men that are out there? Right. Why are you resigning yourself to this? Or does she think that it's sexy? That's possible, too, because, oh, you know, he's aggressive, he's pushy, he, he's controlling. But that's he all. Loves me. He's such a man. Mm. And that's hot. And I don't know which it is. I don't know if, if Nora Roberts thinks this is not sexy, but, but it's the best you can do. But either way, it's it's not a positive message. No, it's not a positive message. I mean, I feel like there could be part four of this, uh, which turns into a novel about divorce. If she thinks that this relationship is going to end up like Eve and Rourke, think about Eve and Rourke from the, the In Death series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where Rourke is good looking enough to be a model. He's the richest man on the planet. And he seems to spend his time following his wife around and giving her little favors that help her career. 
And he is not insulting with Eve, by the way. No, he's not. He's he's very sweet with her he and is. very supportive and very loving. And maybe that's the image is that Morgan is going to change Miles. That he's going to become less brusque, less mm. controlling, less domineering. That's a very dangerous. It Women is. have been talking about how dangerous that is for decades. Yes. These men become worse when you marry them. Yes, they do. They get jealous, sometimes violent. The last thing I wanted to talk about in this category, and this is why I gave it a one, yeah. was this bizarre seduction scene. Yes. I, I Do you yes, remember that? I do. And I really didn't like that. It's so weird. Okay. So they're just, they're both realizing they're interested in each other. He's helping her get to the car every night, and she thinks that's kind. So she bakes him cookies and goes to his house. There's some really weird stuff about that. First of all, you could call it HDTV porn because (laughs) she doesn't react to him. She reacts to the house. The turrets. I'm not making this up. No, I know. I'll read it. It's the house as foreplay. Gorgeous. This is her speaking. Gorgeous. They're just gorgeous. And the windows. She let out a sound sort of between a moan and a sigh when she stepped into his office. He ordered himself not to find that sound sexual. He failed. And she continues speaking. Oh, yes, it's perfect. It's just perfect. The curved walls, the view out the tall windows, all that wonderful natural light. That's weird. Yeah. So, but, and also up until this point, we had everything from Morgan's perspective, except when we were looking at the serial killer. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden she shows up, he wakes up in the morning and it's from his perspective. And she shows up in short shorts with cookies and then wants to see his turrets. And then the rest is history. And, and like, why is it, it like from his perspective, it's like she's throwing herself at him, but we don't know what her perspective is. Why switch to his point of view there? Like, this is, yes, she switches point of view throughout the book, but it's, you know, mainly Morgan's point of view. Yeah. It's her story. Right. And this is her agency. Is she seducing him or not? How is she feeling about this? Why is she baking cookies? Why is she showing up in short shorts? Why is she ooing and eyeing in a sexual way over the house, getting him to show her the bedroom and Be- all this right. stuff? Because and turns- we don't know because she switches to Miles' point of view for the right. entire chapter. Right. I've wasted way too much of my life energy trying to figure out why she did that. (laughs) And the only thing I could come up with is she's stuck. Like, she doesn't want to show Morgan's agency here. Or she's so in Miles' head by this point. What is he thinking? Where's his desire? What does he Mm. want? Either way, it's very unsatisfying. I want to know what Morgan's thinking, why she's doing this, and how she feels about it. Yeah. And we never find out. Regardless of why Nora Roberts did it, it doesn't work. I ended up giving this category a one simply because of Miles and Morgan. And maybe I'm hoping that they don't get a suite named after them at in, in Boonesboro. What, what did yeah. you give it? So I gave it a two mostly because I really liked the character for Morgan. Yeah. And I really, I mean, I, I'm a divorce lawyer. <laughs> I want to help her get free. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan was likable, but I, I hated seeing her become self-effacing like yeah. that. Yes, I hated that too. All right, so the last category is all the feels. I gave this category a two. Once it was revealed how awful Miles was in terms of his relationship with Morgan, it was very hard to be excited about the rest of the book. Um, But there were some really good action scenes at the end. I don't want to give any spoilers, but Mm -hmm. you know it was really well done. So I gave it a two. What did you think? I gave it a two for all the feels. There were parts that that I had 
good feelings about the description of her financial ruin and how she rebuilt. Yeah. That was heartening, how she bonded with her mother and grandmother. Yeah. Even how the resort itself fell in behind her like immediately and strongly. That was all really heartening. Yeah, it was good. And great to read. I liked the ending as well. I liked how she had all these men buzzing around trying to help her, including Miles, including the FBI. But in the end, she relied on her own resources. The reason I gave it a two rather than a three is, you know, the story is fairly simple, not really any surprises. Once again, Morgan's challenges, I noticed this with other books by Nora Roberts, her challenges are overcome really pretty easily and quickly. I'll give you one example. Dating the boss is a big problem Mm. when you're a manager, a mid-level manager, and there's a little bit about that, about one co-worker being uh, a little prickly about that but mm-hmm. basically she comes she gets over that very very quickly mm-hmm. but i gave it a two the, 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 which is not so bad so our overall score you take these 10 scores and add them up you get 20.5 which is a rating of 2.05 that's a solid two-star rating from us hmm. and if you compare it to the other two nora roberts books review reviewed the choice which was one of our practice episodes from last year we gave that a 2.9 Yeah, I like that. We like that book. And then Encore and Death earlier this year, 1.15. Yeah. So here's Nora Roberts writing books that for us are ones, twos, and threes. Yes. Uh, This is our 10th episode this year. Identity comes in sixth out of those 10 books. Just behind Dark Angel by John Sanford, just ahead of Stormwatch by C.J. Box. Uh, By comparison to our two-star rating, she's getting 4.7 on Amazon, 4.45 on Goodreads and 4.04 on Storygraph. All right, well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next episode when we review The Five Star Weekend by Mm -hmm. Ellen Hildebrand. Until then, keep dreaming, keep flying. Keep laughing, keep crying. And don't stop until you've read them all.